morena Tefano. Sorry if my voice is a little bit raspy, but um, we've got the kids. What are the kids doing? <laughs> Children out the back, is that right? Some of the and crash as well. Some will return. Um, Dale and I are looking after Aaron and Arta's um, our little moko, two of them. They've taken Takari with them, so we're taking a photo before and after the 14 days. So this is five years old already and about four centimetres shorter. So it's uh, already a week of it's done great damage to us. So it's um, just Sam and Emma also in Asia, they're part of the kaitiaki here. So yeah, just for those who are our visitors, we, we came here probably 13 years ago with a group of about six of us, seven of us, uh, from Palmerston North. I helped oversee a network called uh, LinkNZ, and out of that, uh, we, were, we came here uh, to help plant this, this church. We started in a little house, and out of that house, uh, we, we soon couldn't fit, and then we started this beautiful journey, a bicultural journey, learning about our land and what it means, and that's really won, won, won our hearts together. Um, over this time. So that's a really brief uh, little role. Um, my specific place in this journey is Dale and I helped to oversee the network of about 17 churches called LinkNZ. So part of that is a privilege of just get around this whenua, this land, see what's happening. And um, yeah, and, and kind of touch hundreds, I guess thousands of people's lives over the period of a year and um, see what's happening. So yeah. Can, can we just pray and I'm just aware, again, going around our land, how much um, our, our land is, um, in one sense, recovering, but in another sense, not. And um, spiritually, emotionally, marriages and families, and with a crazy season and politics coming up, the left and the right, the silliness, the horrible aspects can come all through that. And I'm, I'm just so aware of how much our land just needs to be touched and how much we in spaces like this needs. God's touch again because the world just keeps, you know, it just keeps speaking, it just keeps shouting. And moments like these, sometimes we can just, just take a breath and um, recover for a few moments. So let's just open your heart and if you're open to it, just hold your hands out if you're open to that. But I just want to pray, come. Dear Holy Spirit, breathe upon us again. No my hari mai. Precious Holy Spirit, Waruatapu, you are not just so welcome, we are desperately in need of your provision, your, your presence, your, your nearness. We're aware that in this season we're, we, we don't necessarily feel triumphant, but we are aware that you're close to us, closer than hands or feet or breathing. And we just offer our lives in this space again. We say, come. Just wash those that need to be washed this morning, those that just walk through situations and circumstances that even in this space, they, they feel just a little tainted by the worlds we've walked through. And I pray you'd wash us now. Come, dear Holy Spirit. Come, we pray. 
we offer our lives as these as this temple, this dwelling of God, and just say again, fill us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I simply want to speak on actually something that has come out of uh, two reasons. One, I want to actually speak about the temple imagery throughout Scripture, and of course God's call ultimately for us to be a living temple, which is really what from Genesis to Revelation starts in the garden, the first temple, which we're going to look at, and finishes in Revelation, final temple, both actually finished with trees and imagery and so forth. But the desire of God that in his creation, in his people, he would have a dwelling which is his people, that he'd have a people who enjoyed his presence, who understood his ways and walked in his, in, in his patterns, really. And I'm just aware that at the seasons I go around the country how much we need again to understand just how important it is that we, uh, just, I guess, just realise how that we are the dwelling of God in the spirit, which is what Ephesians says. So I just want to just throw up the, just the first little scripture here, which is Ephesians 2. Uh, we are carefully joined in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. And through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Just this, just the word dwelling, which we look at. Each time scripture mentions the word temple or tabernacle, which is the same imagery, the same picture, place of dwelling, a place where people uh, were designed to hang out, to meet with God. This word dwelling just simply means a place to sit down, a place to abide, a place to remain. And it's a picture of God dwelling where it says there, you know, that through him uh, we're carefully joined, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. You're being made to be part of this dwelling, this, this place where God sits down, where he finds his place amongst us, where he... Um, it becomes a place of, in one sense, of simple but determined obedience to, to walk in his ways. And this dwelling where he sits amongst us, not just moments like these, but in our homes and our workplaces and the kind of people we are. Um, just, just the next one. one. One of the places we know is that he dwells particularly amongst the church. The church becomes the dwelling place. It's not the only place, but the church, when I say that, not this building, but we, the church together, we're the dwelling of God, we're the people of the Spirit. It says the church, the dwelling place of God is on earth, is the place in which God can have his rest and put his trust. I just want to say again, with so much brokenness in the church in these last years, you know, churches that have been shown to be what they are or aren't, things that have happened, abuse cases, all, all these kind of things, it's, it's amazing how much it can, again, shake um, our confidence actually in what God wants to do. And usually these things happen because there's something new that the Holy Spirit is wanting to, again, I believe, bring forth. And so it just says here in this, um, the church, the dwelling place, the place where God wants to sit, the place of God on earth, is a place in which God can have his rest and put his trust. Um, it is his dwelling place. God lives and moves to accomplish his will and to satisfy the desires of his heart because the church is God's dwelling place. The church is where God expresses himself, not the only place. But if he isn't expressing himself as a dwelling place amongst us, <laughs> where is it going to happen? And I think as I go around the country again, there is something of God helping us to understand, wanting us to understand 
that things like prayer and devotion, which all around our nation are just, there's this rising tide of people saying, I don't pray great, I don't understand all that stuff, but there's a longing to pray. There's a longing to become a dwelling. There's a longing to say, I'm tired of sitting in the shadows just of my journey. I really, really, in a quite a deliberate way, want to engage to become this living temple, this dwelling, this tabernacle, whatever the words are. So let's just go to the first uh, imagery in, in Scripture of the first um, temple. And this is, of course, a garden, garden of Eden. And we start there with Genesis 1.1. And, it's, and it says there, and God, that the Spirit of God breathed, ruah, the breath of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and he starts to speak into creation. And part of his dwelling is actually creation. The trees and the birds and the, I'm not saying that they are, they are God, I'm simply saying that they're alive. And I think indigenous cultures understand this. That there's something when we destroy um, nature, for example, when we ignore it, that part of the kind of temple, the part of the imagery, the beauty, the song. Romans says when we look into the, sky, into the sky, it says we see there the glory of God being revealed. There's something in the first aspect actually created um, this beautiful garden. But then it says in Genesis that he then goes and breathes his breath into man's nostrils and the man becomes a living person. And so starts the story of the first priests in the temple. Adam and Eve become the first priests. And they centered their life around a certain tree, two trees, but they were meant to center their life around a certain tree. What tree was that? The tree of the tree of life. And again, the imagery of this again is right through all the temple story that I'll tell. And ultimately coming into Christ, Jesus, who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the tree of life, etc., etc. But right in the beginning is this first temple imagery of Two people who could walk, um, it says, in the cool of the evening, they were totally free. There was a sense of God's provision there. They were at rest. They weren't in shame. They weren't in guilt. They weren't trying to, you know, um, correct one another or correct what is happening. They were at rest in that. And it's a beautiful picture of the first temple because every temple occasion we see later in Scripture tries to go back to be that. So here are these two priests. Not official position, Adam and Eve, they weren't says you're a priest or they weren't given titles. But they were, they were, they, they were priests. They walked before God, they walked before each other, they looked after creation. There was a sense of beauty in that space. And he intended his creation to be a place where the experience of his provision and his protection and his presence would be very real. And so creation became part of this beautiful temple, the first imagery. Unfortunately, we know what happens. They come, they sin, they break the bonds of this, in one sense, this beautiful innocence in the temple. And as a result of that, they're removed from the, the sanctity, in one sense, of this. But from here on, there's always this longing, always this longing through Scripture that they could somehow find again this temple, this temple walk, this dwelling of God. It talks about this, this dwelling where, where God and us would walk together in a very real way. And these temples, which we read about later, or these tabernacles, became part of God's presence, wanting to be amongst us over and over again. Um, part of why this is a really important little corridor for me is recently I've just had a prophecy given to me. 
And part of that is about this tabernacle, which is another word for temple. But whether or not God actually wants, for example, myself and others, whether part of Tarotini's journey is going to be like a 24-7 kind of prayer place. But if that's to happen, I know this is preparation for something of God getting into our hearts and readiness for such a season. And so we, we see again they're driven out of the garden, but the second expression of uh, the temple is actually called the tabernacle. It was Moses and his people who were, who were walking through uh, the wilderness and so on. And um, in this again was this, do we have the second one at all? Yeah, thank you. Um, and this is a portable tent. It's called the tabernacle. And um, each time that the cloud or the fire would lift and they were journeying, they would pack up that thing in the middle and all the tents and so on, and all the tribes around it, the tribes of Israel, would pick it up. And this tabernacle became again central to their journey. It, was, it would never be the garden, but it was an attempt again to have a, a sense of the tree of life, a sense of God is going to be in the midst of our journey. He's going to travel with us for good or for bad through you know, the wilderness journeys and all the rest of it. And um, read in Exodus 25, it just simply says, then make, God says, then have them make a sanctuary for me and I'll dwell amongst them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly as I've said. And so what happens is they make this and as they dedicate it, we see that like fire and smoke, the glory of God fills this place. And we see that they realize that Yahweh God is amongst them. And this temple, this sense of, oh, have we got back? what we once had. But the only problem with this was that it is temporary in every way. Number one, all the people weren't priests any longer. There were certain people with certain tribal rights, with certain privileges, certain days, certain um, things started to take place that would mean there were people in and out. This was constantly aware of the, the sinfulness and they day by day, week by week, year by year would be constantly but behind this again, a desire for this temple, this tabernacle, this dwelling of God, which was to be part of what would keep them in this journey of faith. And again, we see through idolatry, through sin, exactly like the first garden, we see that this tent literally just became a portable tent and it lost the glory, lost the dwelling, lost the presence of God from its midst. It looked right, but it was wrong. It was always designed to somehow reflect as best as it could something of God amongst us. When we journey, we want him to be with us. When we're, and that is the deep longing of it. But as sin and stuff crept in, we see that moves off. Then later, as the journey continues, and this is like now, about another 440-odd years or more later, we see Solomon decides that he wants to build a temple. And this is regarded as probably one of the greatest architectural buildings ever that took place in Israel's history. It became the center of their worship. It became the central place. It was no longer a moving object. It was, um, it was, it, it was had this remarkable structure. It was, it, it was placed, I just read here, it was, um, it, it was built on the Temple Mount, an altar where Abraham had built an altar to, his, to sacrifice his son Isaac. It is an attempt to recreate again the dwelling of God. Why? Because God met him when he went to sacrifice his son and God says, no, stop. You don't need to do that. And he remembers that and they build again this, this beautiful temple. And, um, 
and again, in the midst of it, when he dedicates this place, um, again says the glory of God visits it. So much so they couldn't even stand. This temple was kind of glorious in many ways. It was beautiful gold. It is interesting in this, the imagery within it, when Solomon made it, it was this. It was, they had, um, through it, the cedar, was, cedar wood was right through it, but over that cedar wood covered in gold, was open flowers and goods and pomegranates and palm trees, etc., etc. Again, imagery of what? The first garden, the first temple. And this kind of awareness that this temple, this structure here, deep inside it, there's still this longing for the garden. A place where we all can be priests. Whereas here, again, there are only certain people allowed into the Holy of Holies. In fact, only one person once a year. He'd go in there. And um, all the rest had different positions until people like ourselves would be outside here somewhere giving our, our, our sacrifices and so on. But again, this deep desire that um, something of Eden would overlap their journey would be found in them that, and there'd be moments when that exactly is what happened and they would find God's presence. But again, as in the first and the second tabernacle and temple we see, sin drives them out of that place. And by the time Jesus comes along, he does this horrendous thing, it seemingly, because this had been destroyed and rebuilt. By the time Jesus was there, there'd been 40 years of rebuilding, and finally the temple was all in place. And it's where Jesus comes in, he enters the temple in John 2, 13 to 20, and he comes in, he starts kicking over the tables, turning the tables over, says, get out of here, because when he walks into that place, it is no longer the dwelling of God, but the dwelling of a whole lot of people doing this stuff, selling stuff, corrupting it, full of idolatry. The poor were outside, they weren't allowed inside. It was rank serial number. The kind of dream that God once had of a garden that is free was now a place that is only set aside for certain people. And he comes in and he speaks this, which was horrendous to the Jews, because when it was rebuilt, this was their dream. This is it. This is the central point of worship for them. When Jesus is present, he comes in, tips over these tables that are just really, really upset. And he declares, this thing is coming down. In fact, he made this horrendous statement to them. He said, this temple will be destroyed in three days. <laughs> It'll be raised up. It'll be destroyed and raised up in three days. Of course, they're saying, that's impossible. You're mad. It's taken 40 years to build. It'll be here in a 1,000 years. By the way, it was destroyed 40 years after this. But Jesus wasn't talking about this, the blocks three days. He was talking again about himself. That in three days, of course, he would die. He'd be broken down, but he'd be raised up again in resurrection life. And that there'd be this new temple this new people that were going to emerge out of this, that were no longer going to be built around bricks and mortars and stones and certain in and out, but around a people where the word who became flesh, which is Jesus, he says, would dwell again amongst us. Isn't that beautiful? I know many of you know this stuff, but I just, I, I'm going somewhere because I, I, I do believe that the Holy Spirit's after our hearts again. And, and in the midst of that, we see that he starts to gather this people, the disciples, people like ourselves, to himself. 
And he starts to talk about this new dwelling, this new place, this new people. You're once not a people, but now you're the people of God. And um, they say, but, but we've got all this whakapapa, we're, we're Israel. We, no, he says, no, no, no. This is a new people. This is a new Israel. This is a new coming together of my presence in this new temple. Acts chapter 2, they gather together. We see the Holy Spirit falls upon them, fire, cloud, just like, again, some of the imagery that took place in this old temple. And we see here that a new priesthood, again, rises up. It's no longer a priesthood with certain cloaks or serial numbers or places, but people passionately dedicated to following the dwelling of God. They were fishermen. They were, they, 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 they were I think there's a lawyer amongst them. There was normal people like you and I. But he's saying, hey, this new garden, this new temple that I'm raising up, it's, it's, it's going to be free of these borders. For my dwelling will now be amongst you, be amongst Toya and amongst I go around this room. That somehow this idea that they think this thing is going to stand forever, it's not, it's coming down. But this new temple which I'm going to raise up through my body, through my people, my dwelling, my habitation, my sanctuary, all those words, whatever you want to put around them, is who he puts his dream within. Believing this is, in fact, the new garden. This is kind of like the hope that he has in his people. And as this happened, we know the church explodes. And all of a sudden, this people are no longer trapped in that. But they start to love and care and break in amongst the poor and the needy. And this priesthood doesn't look like the old one. The barriers are coming down. And in their midst, there's people who are being healed and the sick being restored. And something of that garden restoration from Genesis 1 and 2 is again in their midst. And he says this, my spirit will come upon you and he will remain upon you. In other words, it's not just moments where he would come and then be removed. But he says, my spirit is going to come upon you and remain, stay with you. And if we are willing to be this kind of companies of people that says, God, we will be in position to be that, that your dwelling would remain amongst us and grow. And that we would see more and more of something of this temple life, this beauty of God being amongst us taking place. I just want to take us to 1 Corinthians 6. And, and if you have a Bible, you can read this, but I, I'll read it to you. And it's a verse that's, um, I want to just open up just a little bit. 1 Corinthians 6. At the end of 1 Corinthians 6, um, sorry, there's not a lot of jokes today or stories, but um, <laughs> you can tell I'm carrying stuff. I've just been around our land for these weeks. It's the first time back. I so love this place. Seriously, I just so love it. I wish I could just, I've got about another five weeks out. So, But um, it, the chapter finishes by saying this. It, it says this, don't you realise... This is 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourselves, for God bought you with a high price. 
So you must honor God with your body. What's he saying here? The first verses in 1 Corinthians 6, the first 6, 7, 8, 9 verses, are all about this church that has experienced God's presence and power, this kind of this temple life. But here they are now, quarreling, arguing, taking each other to court, lawsuits. And he's saying, what are you doing? What, what, what are you doing with this temple? What are, you, what are you doing amongst you? Why are you destroying it through that kind of acrimony? And then and he goes on, he speaks about the kind of lifestyle, and he's saying, don't you realize that um, pe- people who do wrong like this won't inherit the kingdom? Don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once exactly like that, but you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God, calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Then he goes on to say, therefore, do you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And it's like this imagery again, he's saying, guys, don't lose the beauty of my dwelling amongst you. What you do with your lives, what you, what you do with your bodies, what you do with the, um, y- y- your days matters. When we walk, when we talk, when we have people in our homes, it's not like something switches off. We can't if we understand that we are this dwelling of God. And he says, don't, don't live in that stuff that drove Adam out of the garden, Adam and Eve out. Don't live in the stuff that destroyed the, the, the early tabernacle. Don't entertain what, what, what ultimately destroyed this. And he says, whatever you do now, and he's talking into this Roman world that is full of all kinds of, it'd be as tough to live in that environment as it is for us to live in ours. And he says, you're a different people. You're a dwelling of God in the spirit. You're a place where God wants to sit, where he wants to put his presence his nearness. And as I just start to wind down there, um, he says, why destroy this new temple? That's what it says here, the verses earlier, I didn't read. Why destroy it? He says, don't do it. Because I'm wanting to find a people, this dwelling, when I believe this is what we are, his church, that across the land find a a holier call than to just live in some of the, yeah, just, just some of the colors of this world, some of the language of this world, some of the habits of this world. And he says, you're different. You're this holy people. And he's saying, listen, Adam and Eve stayed. They should have run from that sin. And he says, now, please, present yourselves wholly acceptable to him. I believe around our land at the moment, one of the reasons why prayer has become such a big thing is that God is after our hearts. And he's after a dwelling. He's after not just individuals, but together. That as we wrestle with the cultures we live in, as we wrestle with the power of sin and the age we live in, and none of us are perfect, we know that. But there's something in this land that I, I find is, especially amongst some of the younger generation, it's almost like putting their feet down and saying, you know what, I'm just tired where some of this stuff's taking me. 
I, I'm just tired. I've been living in this kind of stuff and this kind of a... And, and they're saying... And they're starting to, again, meet their friends, starting to pray together. Little devotions happening. People becoming accountable to one another. I can't tell you how many leaders, church leaders, have said to me in this last 12 months, Fraser, um, I've led successful churches and stuff, but I've been brought to my knees. I need to know God's presence. Apart from anything I do, I need to know him. And they're saying the same thing, that they, that you, that I, would be this dwelling of God and the Spirit. Amen? I'm going to actually just say a little, I want to pray. If we can just put the last PowerPoint up. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What, what, what a beautiful invite. Um, I'm not a priest any more than you are. We all stand before his presence. We all are the dwelling of God. We all are part of this new garden, this dream that his people would fill the face of the earth with his glory. And um, I don't know that, how that happens. All I know is that history shows us that when God really gets our hearts, our obedience, there's moments of renewal, of awakening, of revival, usually of holiness, of brokenness, a sense of I just can't tack this God thing onto my life and keep living this way. There's something like the, the great prayer of Joshua as for me in my house. I'll serve you. Let's just open our hearts, shall we? Thank you for your patience. Thank you, thank you. Centre of that garden was this tree of life. Yeah, we may have eaten from the tree of the knowledge, good and evil, and lost our way, but even this table before me, this tree of life, we receive you today in our midst. Maybe today, as you're sitting here, you just need to bring before God just. Those things that have muddied you, dirtied you, just left you feeling, even in this space, in some way, away from God. And I just want to invite you, just His love endures forever. See, this new temple isn't one that drives people out, but welcomes us in through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. And if you're in that space today, just where you sit, I'm not going to ask you to do anything, just where you're seated, would you just bring your life before God? You may want to pray something, oh Lord Jesus, I need you today. And I confess before you, whatever it is you need to confess.
I confess. So let it go. Name it in your heart. I confess anger. I confess uncleanness. I confess. And we turn to you today, Lord Jesus. We pray the precious blood of Jesus Christ right now would just cleanse every heart, every mind. Even as I stand here, I just, the beauty of I remember coming back at about age 18, 19, back to the Lord. The beauty of being able to finally confess the crud that is in my life. Getting washed and freed and for the first time in years, knowing that I could truly be free to walk before Him. Yeah, it's taken years and it still is. But I thank you, Lord, for those moments. And even in this space today, maybe it's a moment for you. Just let the Holy Spirit just move amongst us, I know. If you're not used to that sort of language, it probably feels funny, but... It just means just open your heart and you're here in this space, you're here for some reason and probably because there's a spiritual hunger or some here who've walked in God for many years, some of the beautiful komato and people here. This is old language I'm speaking about, but I believe it's a new season of God drawing us, helping us know you are the dwelling of God. Fraser, you're the temple. God and the Spirit, together with this community, all the believers in this city, all those that love Him, this dwelling of God that rises to be the praise in the earth. And we offer our lives to be such a people today. Hmm. Fill us now. Fill, Lord. Fill us. We pray that prayer and devotion and that sense of our deep longing to know you would increase and grow. We need you in this land, Lord. We know that. We lift our hearts before you today and say thank you. Thank you for your utter commitment. I think of those last chapters in Revelation where it talks about the rivers and the trees and all those things again. And it says at the center of the throne is the Lamb. And we see you today in our midst and we thank you. We thank you for this new temple that we're joined to, this new habitation. We bless you together in Jesus' name. Amen.